Welcome to the VMW podcast, How She Leads with Aisha Amiji. Introducing Noor Sharab, co-founder and CEO of City Soaps and How She Leads. Hey Noor, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Excellent. We're so excited at VMW to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on here. Awesome. So let's just dive right into it and start with who you are. What's your story? Where are you from? I'll give you a background. So my name is Nora and my social enterprise is Sitsi Social Enterprise. And Sitsi actually means my grandmother. So it's inspired by the traditions of our grandmothers and inspired by the resilience of our grandmothers. We work with refugee women to provide them with employment opportunities to produce cold-pressed olive oil soap, amongst other artisan-gifted items. Beautiful. That is so amazing. So I'm very curious to know, what inspired you to start Siddhi Soaps? You know, (laughs) many times we think about doing something, but from everything I know about you, you know, you were actually at the refugee camp in Jordan when you got the idea, right? And what was that moment that you were like, this is my mission. This is my purpose. This is part of my story. So it's, it's not something where I sat there and I'm like, I'm going to start a company selling soap. Like that was not the way it started. Um, I was working in the refugee community. Um, I want to say about five, six years prior to starting City. And essentially we were focused on higher education scholarships. Uh, opportunities that we were working with refugees on the ground. And then one of the days, one of our uh, volunteers came up to me with a box of soap in her hands. And uh, she was like, can you help us sell this? And I kind of looked at her like, okay, so, and I kind of like, it was kind of like a moment of reflection, like, okay, like I'm never really sold soap before. But what I saw there was something beyond the soap. I saw that there was a group of resilient women, a group of these women that have no other option, no other work opportunities, and they're using their skills, they're using uh, skills that they were given or trained in. Um, to make this bar of soap to be able to support their families. That's what I saw in the soap. And at the same time, I connected with my co-founder, Jacqueline Sophia, who was also working actively in the, in the Gaza refugee camp. And, you know, I thought to myself, someone was telling me like, oh, she's also working to help some women selling the soap. And I was like, okay, why are we working separately? Why aren't we just joining forces? Because I'm a big believer, like if you're doing the same thing I am, if we put our minds together, we're going to work doing something amazing. Why should we competitively work, you know, against one another? We should kind of put that effort together. Um, so I reached out to Jackie and, and after our first meeting, we decided to basically join forces and, you know, come up with something that can really dynamically resonate the stories of these women and it started with a bar of soap yeah wow that that is really inspiring (laughs) I there's so many things I love there but um, I'm gonna ask a couple questions because so you can Mm. unpack this a little because I think one is I know you have a master's um, in political science and I'm not sure where your undergraduate degree was in but so many women assume that you must have a specific degree in social entrepreneurship um, in order to start something like this so what were kind of the skills that you got from outside of this industry and what were the resources you used and then the second question that before I forget is Jackie coming together women collaborating and not competing is so 
powerful. We have, yeah. you know, when you have a scarcity uh, mentality, it's just, you know, there's, there's no opportunities for any of us. But when we collaborate and you have an abundance mindset um, and women aren't afraid to collaborate, you know, you have that trust, there's risk there. And there's a little bit of um, the conversations, like the skill of like, how do you have these open conversations? Mm -hmm. Like you have a soap company, I have a soap company, we want to do the same thing. How does that work? The collaboration between me and Jackie was really about, you know, I I looked at myself and I was like, you know what, I'm lacking in these skill sets and she seems to be amazing in them. And so why should I, you know, try to think that I know it all, which we don't. We try to do our best, but we should really focus on what we do best in. And so what I saw in our collaboration between me and Jackie is we really highlighted each other's like each other, we complimented each other in a way, right? Like, you know, she was able, she, she was able to kind of work on uh, different aspects and things. She's a great communicator um, and, and a great storyteller as well, especially being, you know, a photojournalist. And um, it's something that, you know, she's very well and skilled at. Um, and so I saw the collaboration more as an opportunity to really enhance. But one thing was, it was more about our intention coming into this, right? And even as Muslims, like it's all, you know how they always say, you know, Check your intention before you do anything because it could, you know, make or break what you're doing. And so our intention going into this was not about, oh, my God, this is going to be my next big thing where I'm going to be making money. That wasn't it. Because you know and I know that entrepreneurship is not going to, you know, you're not going to be rolling with the big bucks as soon as you start it. It's a lot of struggle and you better love it and have the passion for it to really want to make something out of it. Right. So when we got into this, um, our intention was first and foremost, the women at the camp. And because both her and myself, we were actively involved with the women of the Gaza refugee camp, and we were working on multiple projects on the side of my NGO, we felt like we kind of ha had this urge to really want to do something beyond what was already done. And employment was something that was really empowering. There was something about education that's, that's incredible because you're really seeing the growth and, and the, the, I guess, the, like a flower kind of blooming. But there's something about employment that really empowers people to feel dignified. Think of that word. As you were speaking, I was like, financial dignity. Like, you know, just dignity, yeah. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Because you have, we have to remember, and good to kind of give a, a little bit of, of a background, these refugee communities are, you know, they're decades and decades old. So you have these communities that have lived in these dire circumstances for years, and they have financial instability, they're aid dependent, a lot of them don't have that economic security that they would get or the job security. And so we wanted to do something more, right? And that was, and that was it. We felt, we felt like, um, and so we wanted to create a model that would work because what was happening before we came into the picture and they were going to like these markets and they were selling like one bar here and one bar there and you know making a dollar here and 50 cents there and it just wasn't working right it's not it's not a sustainable model for them so we wanted to come in and say we want you to worry about nothing we'll kind of take it from here and that's kind of how it started but I did my bachelor's in, in, in political science and then I worked a little bit I I, I taught um, English um, in Egypt for a few years. Um, and then I decided to come back um, and do my master's program in political science again. Um, I did my thesis on intergenerational differences of identity of Palestinians living in Palestinian refugee camps. And that was kind of my first step 
of basically getting involved with the refugee community. It was, and I, I did a specialization in forced migration and refugee studies. And so that kind of delved a little deeper. As soon as I graduated, I moved to Jordan and I worked with the United Nations for a few years, both on from internships to consultancies. And so it gave me that international development perspective of working abroad. Um, but at the same time, while I was working there, that's when I started my NGO and then slowly starting the business. To answer the question of did I have the skill sets and did I know what to do? No, I didn't. <laughs> I had to figure it out. You know, we had to kind of ask a lot of questions and admit that we didn't get it and, um, you know, put ourselves out there until we kind of um, had people criticize us and, and tell us mm, this is not right. Um, and we had to do something once and twice. We, you know, spent a lot of money that was wasted. Um, and but we asked the right questions, and we and and we approached the right people to make sure that, you know, are we are we doing this the right way? Asking those questions after you do have setbacks and failures is asking the questions. What happened, right? Is there like an example, a story that really sticks with you of a time you failed? I was pregnant with my second baby. And me and my husband decided to relocate back to Toronto because that's where my family was. So I wanted to be closer to my family. So lo and behold, I, you know, me and my family leave Jordan after all, right when, when City was launching. So it was, it was kind of a very sensitive time. And I moved to, I moved to Toronto um, to accept a full-time job in the corporate field. But at the same time, I didn't want to let go of City. And so I had brought in samples with me and I had basically... Um, issues with logistics of getting you know products shipped here I had still not registered the company I was still trying to like navigate and figure things out but I remember sending a sample of the product to a distribution company here that I was hoping would be interested and would hold specific products um, and we got into you know a conference call with like four other people that were like reviewing our products and they were like mm, you know we love the story yeah, and we, you know, we like the concept and it looks clean, but, you know, your packaging's off and like your, each soap is weighing differently and the finishing is not up to par and you can't kind of compete, right? And so I remember in the call, like I just froze. I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. And so they're like, it's a good effort, but, you know, we're not interested to take you on. <laughs> at the moment unless and that moment's heartbreaking right? right like they can tell you a million great things and then all the but that two feedback things is like oh so exactly right <laughs> so I hung up and I was like literally I am not I I started crying I don't know if I was just being like so emotional that but it was just it was hard because like you spend hours and you're like you know I put my kids to sleep and I wake up and that's all I'm doing till like you know two three in the morning and I'm trying to kind of do it at the same time it's a struggle. It's not something that like you wake up and makes itself, right? And my husband, who honestly, if he's listening to this, he's one of the most supportive. He's, he's so supportive with everything I do. And if anything, he's the one that's been pushing me like to continue moving forward despite the challenges. But I remember that particular time he looked at me and he was like, they're telling you what to do. And I was like, no, but they hate it and they don't like it. And I'm crying. And he was like, but they just told you the problem. Like, take exactly what the problem is and figure out the solution. Don't let this be a barrier. Let this be a, basically like them giving you the answers. They're telling you fix one, two, three, four. All right, now it's time for you to fix it. Not for you to sit there and, and you know, 
start crying about it. Yeah. And so I kind of looked at him and I was like, yeah, you're right. And, uh, and then, and then I kind of like jumped on a call. I, I jumped on a conference call with Jordan with like my team there. And we were working on a lot of logistical issues and we were trying to figure out, you know, what was going wrong and how we can fix certain issues from the packaging to the finishing to everything. Four to six months later, when I resent them, this samples again, they said, okay, this is perfect. We want it. We want it. And so I was, I was able to basically take everything they gave me, fix some of the issues, identify that, yeah, it wasn't right. I wasn't there yet. You know, I'm not a big conglomerate that has huge R&D funding and, you know, huge budget to hire consultants to do things for me. This was something that like I had to learn on, we had to learn on our own, right? And so, yeah, I mean, six months later, they're now my, my main distributor here at the moment has helped me get into over um, almost 200 shops across Canada, including, you know, Vancouver and Calgary and Montreal and, um, you know, all across Toronto. So, I mean, it, it's a lesson for me that like take the criticism with an open mind that like sometimes we get really defensive when people tell us to fix things, whether it's personal, whether it's skill-based or like, oh, your product needs work or whatever it is, or your website's a little off, take that criticism, listen to that person. Because sometimes we take it as like, oh my God, you know, what do you mean? Our ego gets into place. Right? Yeah. And we kind of have to reflect, like, I'm always like, I don't know it all. I still have a lot to learn and figure out like, okay, where, you know, either surround myself with the right people that have more knowledge than me. Um, or ask the ask questions. Yeah, you need to ask yeah. questions until you know uh, until you get it. Yeah, it's it's amazing what you can do once you change your mindset. And something that you said that I just like I'm so curious about is who you surround yourself with, your circle. Also, um, also being a mother, <laughs> I have three kids, and my husband <laughs> is also one of like voices of Muslim women's main supporters. <laughs> it's because as when you're a woman in a leadership position, your circle and so whatever your circumstances, whether it's your parents, your siblings, your best friends, um, your coworkers, your husband, your kids, mm -hmm. your partner, um, whoever it is, you need people around you who are cheering for you. 100%. So there's a few things, right? You know, speaking of children, they don't raise themselves. Interrupt for a second, I really want to share with our audience like what it took for us to um start the podcast so <laughs> Nora's daughter had a nap time um and it, it was the timing was off and today she's a little bit more um whiny than usual and i can relate i don't know how many times that as a working mom i've been like please god let my child sleep so i can take this like phone call or this meeting um and so exactly. many like how do you do it this is how we do it <laughs> Right? Yeah. So you you plan things around nap time, or if you can't, they join they join me in my meeting. So my daughter's actually so I just gave birth in October. So my daughter's four months next week. So I'll have two other children that are one is in SK and wasn't one is in JK. Usually it's really like planning around it. I lean on my parents a lot, and I think that's very important because I they as they say it takes a village to raise your kids and that's a hundred percent true right um so it's okay to ask for help number one um a lot of communities even like when I look at the refugee community and what I love about it is that a lot of women lean on each other right um you know the neighbors are so close to each other and, and you might see this like of just families back home it's really common to have like 
you know, kids surrounded by their aunties and their grandmas and their uncles and, and all that. It's because it's part of a greater community that it's a lot easier to raise your kids in kind of like multifamily dynamics compared to the way we live our lives here, you know, in North America, that's kind of very secluded and, you know, individual. We feel like we're the only ones struggling or going through the same issue, but we're not, right? Like we're not the only ones dealing with, with these struggles. Um, and I think I make it a point to always, you know, reference it or talk about it. If I'm invited somewhere to talk, I'd be like, oh, great. Like, can I bring my daughter or, you know, I need to go breastfeed her or I, like, I think it's important to talk about this because when we don't speak up for other women, we feel like it's not okay to ask, right? Or, you know, they won't understand. Majority of the time, people will understand, um, especially as a mother. And this is something I've realized, like, especially as a mother, if they want you bad enough, if you're good enough for what you're doing, people will make an exception. And sometimes you have to be that first person to be like, do you have a nursing room or a section or like, yeah. can you come yeah. take this? To, and slowly yeah. that shifts to, this is a, a, like, this is just normal. Like, you know, it becomes normalized. I went, I went to a conference, uh, Women Deliver, last summer, and it was so wonderful. Like, you know, there was a full nursing room with like heated mm -hmm. like a place to meet heat your milk uh store it like wipes everything you would need and, and i just thought you know if if men had the responsibility of ch child rearing which i personally think they do it's just they don't take it <laughs> but if this was already normalized and like we have a lot of brothers who are stepping up to the plate um, and taking care of yeah. their own kids but if this was already a thing like we would have like childcare in work and in leadership would be normalized at such a high level that we'd be like, how else would you do it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's true because when I started the women's center in the camp, um, one of the things that made sure of, and I was so persistent, we, we basically had this open space and we had to lay out the rooms. So one of the rooms was going to be the soap workshop where the women would make soap. And then one of them was going to be the computer lab. One of them was going to be like the open area. And then one, I was like, we need to have a babysitting room or a room so that if the women that work for us have children, where are they going to put their children while they're working? Like, what if they're too young or, you know, what if they need to put them somewhere? Um, and so we made sure that one of the rooms in the center was a child kid friendly room that was just really focused on being that support system and like that place for women that like if she has to go work or if it was her shift or something she would be able to you know leave her kid with and then we hired qualified early childhood education um graduates to be there and facilitate different activities for for the women that were working for us and so that was something that like by incorporating some of these things um and these i think these are just valid questions like these are things that we can um, ask and if there's like an empty room can I use that for me it's really hard like you know the first and you know this first six months you're breastfeeding every like every minute you can people always it, think it's hard nursing, like it's nursing <laughs> exactly so for me like it's I could be like okay sure stay with your you know stay with your father but it's I I personally hate pumping you know it's, it's a struggle for a lot of women not as easy as you know as it is and so sometimes it's just easier to have her close to me so that if I just need to breastfeed her then then I can and these are just realities like you know you know they say the you know the the show will go on or the light like life will go on and so um for example yesterday I had several calls lined up but my daughter was homesick with a fever so what do you do 
you navigate, you work around it. Um, and I think also like you speak to your kids and you let them know, like, you know, this is my time. This is, I have a meeting right now, but when I'm done, I'll make sure I give you my undivided dedicated time for you. And it's important to have these conversations with your kids too, because they see you and they're like, but mama, like, you know, come play with me or come do this or come do that. But then, you know, I try to make it very clear to my kids. Okay, guys, I have, let's say I have a call in an hour. Okay, I have a call in an hour. Let's get whatever you guys want. And then during my call, I want uninterrupted time, which sometimes will interrupt you because they're kids, right? Have that open communication. Don't struggle all, all by yourself, like not letting people know like, oh my God, I have this and I have that. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll try to navigate between either like family support or spousal support to, to say like, okay, can you handle it? If you can't, then I will. But, you know, can we make it work? Like, how do you navigate this? <laughs> so you can show up at these tables and ask these questions and normalize this type of leadership. And I, I feel like so many women um, feel divided, like they have to make a choice that if they want to lead um, in a professional like work setting, or whether it's they want to start a small side hustle, or they want to become the CEO of a company, whatever it is, that they would have to somehow choose to be a bad mother or not be a mother or there's and it's it's so important to have this conversation with our daughters i had it yesterday with my nine-year-old because she you know was totally guilt tripping me saying like oh so you're gonna be at work from like 5 a.m to like 8 p.m and i'm like gonna miss you don't don't you like being a mom and i was like obviously someone has already brainwashed you but listen lady this is how I work. I love being a mom and I also love to work. This is my service to the world. This is my gift. It brings me joy. And I was like, I hope that by the time you grow up, you can choose to not have kids, have kids, be a CEO with your kids, with a nursing room, <laughs> like that you have so many options because our daughters should grow up with, yeah, this is normal. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to choose this or that. There's all the expectations and barriers we have that are like invisible ceilings and walls that these are really shattered by the time they grow up. Yeah. When I, you know what? That's, that makes me think. So yesterday, my son was like, mom, why don't you work in your other work? You know, <laughs> like, why did you leave the other work? Like we were, I think we were driving by it. And so he saw my other work that I used to work in. And he was like, why don't you work there anymore? I liked it when you worked there. And I was like, why? And he's like, I don't know. Cause like you help people and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, mama, but I'm also helping people in, in what I'm doing here with Sissy. And he's like, he's like, so who was your boss there? And I was like, you know, that person was my boss. And he's like, so who's your boss at Sissy? I'm like, mama, I'm my own boss. And he's like, you're your own boss. And he was like, cool. And he's like, so you tell people what to do. Yes, and yes. for a minute, I think for a minute, I was like, you know, I kind of looked at my six year old and I was like, you know, it's a good thing that I wanted to grow up thinking like there isn't a one or another. Like there isn't like you have to like I want to I, I think at that moment I was like, wow, he's looking at his mother as someone of a, you know, a leadership position of being like, you know what, I can have a mom that can be a boss too, right? Like you can't you can be both. Like I've had other times where my daughter will when she was much younger was like, you know, you know, Baba does this and you do and, and this person does this and this person does this, but you're ma like you're mama. And I'm like, no mama. Like and I think at that point, like I wanted her to know that like I, I'm not just your mother. I'm your mother and I also have a, a job and I have this and I have that. So I have we you know, we wear multiple hats and it's important to have our family 
um, particularly our kids, see the multiple dimensions that we're at, that we're in, or where or see us wearing those multiple hats, because we don't want them to feel you can be you can only be a mother, or you can only be this, or you can only be that one title that society tells us that we need to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we're often, you know, navigating and 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 balancing, you know, the the different things that we're doing. But it's having these conversations. It's openly talking about it right? Um, It's identifying, you know, where we struggle and where we don't. I've been lucky to have previous jobs where they've been so flexible, knowing that like, you know, whether it's, you know, I just got out of maternity or, you know, I have kids or, you know, the, the, the call that every parent hates from the school or daycare, like, come pick up your kids, they have a fever. And you're like, oh, I have to drop everything. Like, some people don't have the luxury and don't have that the privilege to be able to drop everything and leave because it could, you know, jeopardize their jobs, right? We need to look at it more from the sense of, and there's a, there's a great book by this called People Over Profit. But, you know, we have to think about the people that make up our company, right? And like, what is, because they're not happy, they're going to they're gonna leave you eventually, right? Um, and so that's kind of the same mindset I try to go in with, you know, with the people that we work with. Um, trying to make sure, like, are we community first? Are we focusing on identifying some of the concerns the women have? But yeah, yeah I mean, sure. definitely. Because you do, like, I'm just going to take a second to repeat that book title. Uh, you said it's People Over Profit? It basically talks about, you know, really, the people make up your company, right? And, you know, they always say, don't hire for skill, hire for character. Because you can, you can train someone to figure out something or learn a new skill, but you can't fix someone's character. You know, a lot of people ask, like, how do you keep a motivated team? And I was listening to um, a great podcast the other day that, like, really ex- explained all these questions. It's like, you cannot train someone to be motivated. Like, you hire motivated people. You hire people who believe in your company values, in your company mission. Like, they strongly believe in that. And, like, VMW operates very similarly where we're about the community. Like, we serve the community. Like, that's our our target audience, our sisters, our women that we work with, we live with, because we want to build something authentic. And I think it's so important to have our voices at the table because we are speaking for ourselves as well as our um our neighborhood the women in our neighborhoods in our communities to be like these are our actual like this needs to be addressed like nobody talks about this like for us to move forward this is how we're going to do it and i'm really curious to know what city soaps because you you know you started it by collaborating with another powerhouse woman and you're working with predominantly an all-women team so what have you noticed mm-hmm about women's leadership that's really different than um, when you're working under uh, a male leadership? I've been privileged to have uh, great male leadership um, in my previous work, but I've also had really bad ones. And, you know, and ironically, when I used to work for, uh, for the United Nations, for UNRWA, I had a boss that was very, very supportive. And so he really, really focused on, you know, pushing us beyond what we thought we could do. And if it wasn't for him putting us kind of out there, um, me and my teammates, you know, I probably would have felt like, oh no, I'm not, I'm too entry level for this, or I'm not ready for, you know, putting myself out there. And I think sometimes it really depends on the people that believe in you, right? Um, and, and seeing how, how, that, how that works. Um, but in terms of my team with Sissy, it's really always, always been kind of like an open, open conversation with them, right? Like, 
you know, what do we, what can we work on? How can we improve? But also making sure that there's always a positive environment around the people there. Like I've had times where, you know, I've hired friends, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, where I've had to let go at like at the center because they weren't, they weren't following protocol, for example, right? So for example, like there was, and there was an incident where the person was always on their phone and they thought that it was okay because they had an in with me. You know, I can't bring you on board and have you be a bad role model to other women and feel like that's okay. And then have me excuse it on you, but then, you know, not make an exception for them. And so after, you know, some, some time, you have to kind of stay and not actually like act on it. And so I had to make a hard decision by saying, sorry, you can't, you can't continue with us because you're, we've repeatedly tried to work with you. I, I want you to be, I, you know, I want you to be part of the team, but mm -hmm. it's not going to work if you think you can come in and out whenever you want. Right. And sometimes you have to draw the line. You have to be a leader. Um, you have to, I don't want to say the word, the, the B word, the bossy word, you know, sometimes it, it's our job to say like, you know, we have to, we have to speak up when we have to, to make sure that everybody else is able to excel in, in their jobs. You have to protect your work culture. Um, and sometimes that takes uh, the leader focusing in on their leadership. How can I support my team to make sure that we have this culture? And like you said, sometimes you have to make hard calls. And I'm just wondering for our listeners who are women who own their own companies and have a small team and, you know, they've hired their friends or sometimes you've hired someone and you've become friends with them, but their performance is slipping or you have to have hard conversation. Give us a little bit more detail or like a specific example. For example, do you set a 90 day trial or do you say, you know, we're going to talk about this one issue about three times. If there's no changes um, and we've had conversations about me supporting you to change this behavior, at what point do you just say, you know what, I think it's time for you to move on in your journey? I think it's having an open conversation. There's a stigma that like as women, we need to be nice all the time. That's not the case. I'm a big stickler. Like I think for me, the biggest thing was always quality control. Um, and so being able to go back to my team and say, you know what, this is not right. We want to be competitive in, you know, in the global market. We want to be able to reach um, and have people say like, wow, this is amazing. You know, once you've had that conversation with, with that team member that's being difficult, then I think it's also important to realize like, okay, we need to make sure that you're giving them an opportunity to change, but if they're not, you kind of have it that open guidelines. And one thing I realized is you have to make sure that your employees know what workplace culture is like. So it's important for us to look at you know, are we having, you know, the, the meetings every now and then? Are we identifying, like, where things can go wrong? Is there maybe things that we've implemented within our workplace that, like, you know, we can have um, anonymous suggestions if people feel, um, you know, shy about it? And, and you know, and, and then have them also know the state of the company. And this is something that is so important for me because, um, you know, we work in a refugee camp that's already very vulnerable. We work with women that are already living um, in vulnerable communities. And so for me, it's making sure that they understand like, okay, we're in our fifth year, um, you know, growing and we've been getting orders and we've been getting recognized. And it's important for them to see like our process. I always talk, talk to them about it and I always um, have them understand like, okay, this is what it is. But as a small business, there's all these costs and things that arise. So mm -hmm. we might feel like, oh, wow, like, you know, the company's making so much money. I want to raise. 
And so sometimes I'm like, okay, guys, like I would more than happy give you a raise, but let's kind of, I want you to know, and, and, and I try to be as transparent as possible saying like, this is where the company's at. Because sometimes when your own people don't know, they kind of have this assumption like, oh, they just are being like stingy with me or they don't want to do it. But when you know that like your organization can only afford X amount, the dynamics change and the conversations change. And you look at things and you do things in a different perspective because you know that not that you're undervalued. It could be like they just can't afford it right now, right? Some people may be undervalued and you should speak up and you should definitely ask for what you're worth. But there are other opportunities where that's not the case, right? Thank you so much for taking us in to, you know, your mindset of, you know, how to lead a company like City Soaps and also just your personal experiences. I can't really express how valuable I think that is for women to share their experiences. Like you have to have the courage to be vulnerable because my genuine hope is for so many more girls and women to start social entrepreneurships, to start their side hustle, to start um, their million dollar company because we need more women living big. And so thank you for bringing us inside and giving us your Neura insights on that. Thank you so much. And honestly, like, I think if, if it's one thing, it's, it's we won't always have all the answers. And yeah. I think it's important to keep searching. And sometimes you start one path and if it leads you towards another path, that's okay, right? Like, it's okay if, you know, your trajectory changes. If you do something and it fails, it's okay if someone tells you, you know, this, this product that you're launching sucks, right? Like, sometimes you just have to work it. And a lot of the big, big companies read about their process. And this is, I guess, what they're teaching in social entrepreneurship and a lot of the business schools is, you know, you read so many case studies of these companies and you realize, like, they didn't get it from the first time. They actually failed several times before they got to that right one. Yeah, that's so true. You need the courage to start and then you need the resilience to keep persevering. Like, okay, plan A didn't work out. Let's go to plan B start plan B and then you're like, actually our clients want plan C. Okay. Let's adapt there. You know, you just pivot and adapt. It's, it's so true. And I love to know what is ahead for City Soaps in like 2020 and the next decade. What's your big goals, girl? So my big goals is really about, you know, growing the company, being able to be um, financially stable to hire more women and grow our center. Um, that's really kind of been on the vision for City, but also kind of entering new market is what we do. Hopefully kind of work closer with, we recently also had an advisory board that we brought on board that have been so helpful. And, and I want to recommend to any startup, you know, get yourself a board, surround yourself with the, with the right members that you think will help give you the right guidance. And for us, it was, it was having that advisory board. Just try to kind of put yourself out there a little more. Continue to push forward. You know, thank you so much for sharing those insights because I think, you know, people don't understand the value of having an advisory board. And sometimes it's not until you're just like, you fall flat on your face a couple times and you're like, okay, now we get why everyone's talking about it. So ladies, please listen up to these tips. They're tried and tested by Nora, myself, and a lot of other ladies who are in leadership positions. The next question is, the last one, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm so proud of City Soaps and your accomplishment for hopes for women in education, the scholarship. If there are other women 
and men listening to this and they're like, I want to get behind this. How can we support Siddhi Soaps? Where can we follow you, find you and follow your journey? So you can definitely go to SiddhiSoap.com. You can check out our stuff there and also on our social media, which is, you know, at Siddhi Soap with just not just Siddhi, but all other, you know, local um, small businesses. It's you want to help out you the best way to help out is really to just support the business we don't we underestimate our conscious positive impact on companies like city and like other companies when you make a conscious decision to buy from you know a small business or to do business with a small business it really goes a long way and i think that conscious decision to you know as as a consumer our decisions on a day to day impact the end result so when we're like, you know, how can I help these refugees? Well, you know, the, this is a company that provides them with employment. So if I buy their products, they're going to be able to fund the employment of these women, right? Mm-hmm. Same goes with, you know, other initiatives around town. Um, you know, if I'm buying ethically, then I'm making sure that these women are being paid ethically and, and these materials are being sourced ethically. But we can't nickel and dime and then expect, expect changes to happen. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can't expect to have women paid fairly beyond minimum wage or fair wage, um, but not make changes where I'm, I'm willing to spend. Um, and so in order for companies to pay fair wages, it means that everything, that usually prices go up. And prices go up usually means that, you know, it, it, it costs more for, you know, the consumer to buy what they want. And so it all has a ripple effect. And, and I think what I'm getting at is that, you know, sometimes we, you know, we want to pay, we want the organic, we want the fair traded, we want the ethically sourced, we want the things that don't hurt the environment, but I still want to buy the t-shirt for $5. It's hard, you right? Know, it's hard yeah. to make those decisions. That's so because, And, uh, you know, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, one thing I do want to share, a lot of the women in my circle, we are children of immigrants or immigrants ourselves. And a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we grow up with a scarcity mentality. And it's hard to shake it off to be like, you know, I can spend $10 on a bar of soap and support these women. And I get a soap, like a beautiful soap. And I get to do something good for my community. I get to serve the world through money. Like money is such a beautiful tool. But if you don't have um, those thoughts about how you can use money to help people, sometimes it is a a scary place, (laughs) you know, especially when there's some auntie telling you, but you can get it from the dollar store. But no, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And you know what? It's like my own father's like you know your soap is too expensive i'm like baba you're not my market like straight up like you're you're not the one i'm targeting number one and number two i think it really it really it it really goes back to like we want to make a social impact and we have to make those decisions with our purchasing power and we underestimate our purchasing power right when we as muslims come together to buy from muslim-owned shops or when we buy from small businesses that's when we're able to make a change. It's not when we're like, yay, way to go, but then I'm going to the dollar store or I'm bargaining for, for, the, for the little things. You know what? Thank you so much. Spend the money, send the love, don't nickel and dime because I promise you, and I promise you, this is a personal promise to like all of our listeners. If you give and buy with the right intention, that money comes back to you like double all the time like the blessings i think that's another thing too is that just like how god gave you that money god can take it away and so we yeah. underestimate that we, we don't realize that that's something 
that is is the case, right? Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, uh, How She Leads. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure, guys. Um, I hope everyone, you know, enjoyed listening to this and, and would love to connect with every single one of you. Um, and yeah, keep up, keep up doing the great work.